This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Maybe it's time you called Red Energy on 131 806. We may grow up, we may grow older, but we're still learning. And I think that's kind of essential. I absolutely believe that. I don't think any of us are ever going to wake up one morning and go, well, I've got it. I know what the meaning of life is. And you know, at funerals, sometimes you have to put your best foot forward, even though you don't want to speak to other family members. So I thought perhaps this was one good thing that came out of Phil's. Yes, death. well, I, I hope so too. I hope it's a, it's a family repairing itself and everybody's staying strong for the Queen. Where have you been, Corrie? Yeah. It's, it's huge. Well, <laughs> huge. I've been under a rock, Anna. Absolutely. So apparently you can only get these security locks unlocked by staff when you buy it. Rookie error. Got home. Rookie error. Oh, you know, four hammers later. <laughs> Everyone was acting like I was some kind of virgin, innocent bride and Mick was riddled with syphilis. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkins. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is our 168th episode, and thank you for joining us today, and thank you to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy and the Prince Wine Store here in Melbourne. We missed recording an episode last week. Miss Jane was struck down by a bronchial infection. Hope you're feeling better, Janie. And Caro has flown to Europe to be with her daughter, Rose, and Rose's partner, Oscar, for the birth of their baby. So we're sending them all of our love. But here today, with us off the interchange bench and (laughs) back by popular demand, Anna Barry, Anna from the Op Shop. Welcome, Anna. Thank you, Corrie. Hello and hello to Miss Jane. We are so thrilled that you have stepped into the high heel shoes of Ms. Caroline Wilson. So <laughs> thank you for doing that, Anna. We've got a cracker of a show today, including you and I having a chat with comedian, writer, um, broadcaster, and a girl that we would all deep down secretly love to call our best friend, Judith Lucy. <laughs> so Judith Lucy is on the show with us today talking about her new book, Turns Out I'm Fine, How Not to Fall Apart which is probably, Anna, uh, you and I have both read the book, probably her most candid book to date. Absolutely. I mean, you really feel that um, you're in her skin. You do. <laughs> you do. It's sometimes a bit, a bit more uncomfortable than it should be, perhaps. But it's a great vehicle, this book, uh, for Judith. She explores a few things that have gone wrong in her life and how she responded at the time and how she might grow from these experience and experiences. And there is, of course, a little bit of um, acknowledgement of last year's COVID lockdown and the crash in the live entertainment industry, which, of course, impacted Judith and so many other performers. Absolutely. And also you just get her fabulous sense of humour coming through every page. So although it can be a little bleak, it's also bloody funny. Yeah, a lot of gags, a lot of fun gags. (laughs) Anna, you have a book and a film recommendation today and I have a recipe from Country Victoria. And of course, we will talk about the funeral of Prince Philip on the weekend. And Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store will be joining us to talk about Pinot Noir. That's in the cocktail cabinet. Anna, first off, just super quick, how has your 21 2021 started. This time last year, of course, we were all in lockdown. We were walking at social distance paces in pairs. And how have you emerged over the last couple of months? I've loved the last couple of months. I'm back at work, which has been fabulous. And just back doing things. I've had a few mini breaks that have rolled over from last year. So I've been very fortunate to be away a few times. And just Melbourne just seems to be coming back to life. Rather quickly, sort of quickly. Yeah. I, think. <laughs> I know, <laughs> especially quickly. the traffic and all that sort of insanity. Uh, well, it's good to have you here in person and, um, you know, back potting away with us. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Because of Caro's sudden and unplanned departure to Amsterdam, we decided to postpone our film night, which was slated for this Thursday, Thursday the 23rd of April. Our sincere apologies to everyone who purchased tickets and our thanks also to all the organisers who worked so hard to get our first event for 2021 off the ground. We will do it 
again once Caro returns. We hope we'll see you and you'll all come back again. But uh, money has been refunded. And if you are having any trouble with that at all, uh, perhaps just send Miss Jane an email to um, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we can work that out. But I gather so far, Janie, that everybody has been um, refunded and things are going pretty well. Now, uh, we've got a few letters in our mailbag, Anna. A couple of weeks ago, Caro was lamenting the fact that she can't fit into a pair of boots, high, you know, knee-high boots. Uh, her words, not mine, because she has thick calves. I stress I am not saying that myself. That's <laughs> her words. We've had a couple of letters. Would you like to read one or two? I certainly would. Kylie McRae via email says... So lovely to hear another giant calf woman speak of the pain of buying long winter boots. Please broadcast any solutions. I'm catching up on my podcast during camping on Kangaroo Island. Oh, half your luck, Kylie. That would be lovely. Um, I don't know whether we do have any tips, but I think probably if I do a bit of research, we might mention them next week. Uh, We'll see how we go. And also... Michelle Cotter via email. Hi, Karen Corrie. I'm a recent convert to the podcast. Love it. Wide calf boot syndrome, I like to call it. Bennett's Boots is a Melbourne company specialising in wide calf boots. Cheers, Michelle. Oh, there you go, Kylie. So it's Bennett's, Bennett's boots, boots. And that's Michelle's tip. All right, and we'll have to check that out. Anna, we now have to move on to... Judith Lucy, award-winning comedian, award-winning writer, actor, broadcaster, national treasure, dare I say, and star of one of my favourite Australian movies, Crackerjack. I can't believe, Judith, you were Mick Malloy's love interest. (laughs) What was that like? Corey, you know, that film is going to be with me till the day I die because it is hilarious that you have mentioned it. I did an interview with someone yesterday who told me that my character from Cracker Jack, Nancy, uh, was her spirit animal, um, but then confessed that actually she probably just loved the film because she wanted to have sex with Mick. And then when I did an In Conversation with Kaz Cook about the book, one of probably only two heterosexual men in the audience got up and asked me a question and that was oh tell us some stuff about the making of Cracker Jack and then I did an interview with Mick Malloy yesterday afternoon and we talked about Cracker Jack so look I should just marry Mick and we should just um, keep making sequels kind of Fast and Furious style um, of Cracker Jack. Judith I think Cracker Jack too don't you? Cracker Jack 10. I mean they announced yesterday they're doing another Mad Max. Sorry, Corey. I think, yes, I think uh, this is why I said Fast and the Furious. I think we could be doing Cracker Jack 16, 17, 18. What is hilarious is that when Mick and I kissed in the movie, I am not exaggerating, about 20 people descended on both of us before that scene and the wonderful makeup woman, Kirsten, said to Mick, and and she's tiny and Mick is obviously quite big, and she pointed (laughs) at him as she just sort of shouted into his face, we are only doing this once. And, you know, they had him taking mints. Basically, it was hilarious because everyone was acting like I was some kind of virgin, innocent bride and Mick was riddled with syphilis (laughs) and was somehow going to infect me. It was kind of very funny. But indeed, we did only do it in one take. And perhaps secretly you might have liked to have done 10 takes. (laughs) Sorry, let's move on from let's, my, let's, my, let's my torrid affair with Mick Malloy. Let's because, move. of course, the real love of my life was Tom Gleisner. But go on. Let's move on to your brand new book. And I'm holding it up to the microphone because, of course, everybody out there can see me do this. Um, turns out I'm fine. How Not to Fall Apart. This wonderful, uh, another sort of chapter in the in the life of Judith Lucy. You've written a couple of books before. But Judith, I do feel that this is probably your, so far, the, uh, the deepest, uh, deepest dive, I guess, you've had into what it is like to be a woman in your 50s and reconciling a whole lot of stuff that's happened not only earlier in your life, but in the last few months, couple of years. And I've just, um, I've, it's resonated so much with me. Anna and I were saying earlier, there are lots of laughs in it, but there's a lot of poignant stuff too. And I just wanted to kick off by talking about the recollection 
of the conversation you have with that friend at the end of 2020 when he says to you, you seem to be doing really well. And you reply, I'm 52 and it's about time. <laughs> what, um, mm. what prompted him to ask that? Were you perhaps not doing so well? It's a very good question, and I'm going to reveal who that friend was. It was the wonderful Colin Lane from Lane on Woodley, because we actually happened to live quite near each other. And so when Melbourne was in lockdown for all of those weeks and weeks and weeks, um, I, I went on a couple of walks with Cole, and we uh, we lived quite near a park. So we would have a little turn around the park, and it was getting towards the end of the lockdown, and he did say to me, how, how are you going? And I said, I think I'm okay. And I think I was possibly even more surprised than he was and and that's when he sort of looked at me and said yeah you actually do you seem really good in fact you seem tickety-boo he said those exact words and I guess one way or another Colin Lane has known me for a very very long time and um, God bless him he has seen most of my shows and so you know he 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 knows the story of my life um, so yeah I, I mean I think we all know that 2020 was a difficult year for for everybody and so I suppose we were both quite surprised and happy that um, considering that I seem to be going quite well after having had um, a few bad years, which is what I write about in the book, really. And because basically, in a nutshell, as you ladies know, my life kind of went to shit just before I turned 50. I was in a relationship with a man. I thought he was the one I was going to grow old with. Then I found out that he'd been stealing money from me for over two years. That relationship ended. I've honestly never been so blind blindsided by anything in my life. And then, and I think it was because of my age and the state of the world as well, maybe, it just felt like my whole life fell apart. I, it suddenly felt like there was absolutely nothing going on that I felt good about. And so I kind of went into a bit of a spiral. And then, yeah, then the last third of the book is me is me getting back on track and trying a lot of different things. And, and yeah, I mean, I just turned 53 and I'm probably feeling the best that I've felt in a very long time. So, yeah, that's it in a nutshell, really. Was it tougher to write this book than your other books, which I've also read and loved? But this one, I really felt it was just so soulful and... I thought it must have been tough to write. Thanks, Anna. Look, it was. I'm not yeah. going to lie. But I kind of made a, a, a rod for my own back in a way because um, I guess because I had written a couple of books before. And look, I, I will always think of myself as a comedian as opposed to a, a, an author. But that doesn't mean that I, I um, don't want to try and improve. You know, I, I sort of don't think you can just keep doing the same thing. I think you need to set yourself challenges without sounding like a wanker, but I kind of do. I kind of think, well, I, I didn't want to keep writing the same book. And I read a really sensational book a couple of years back. I don't know if either of you have read it. Do you know of Corey White? He's a comedian. Don't know him. And he wrote a fantastic him. book called The Prettiest, I'm pretty sure it's called The Prettiest Horse in the Glue Factory. And look, Corey just had a harrowing childhood, basically. It's an excellent book, but... If there is anyone who had the right to write a book about his upbringing and, frankly, blame everyone else for his life, it's Corey. And I was so incredibly impressed by the fact that he never, ever let himself off the hook in that book and just really analysed his own behaviour. And it, I found it pretty inspiring. I really remember reading it thinking, oh God, I thought I'd been honest, but no, this is what honest looks like. And so I did set myself that goal. I actually did want it to be the most honest thing I'd ever written, which, yes, Anna, at times <laughs> I felt I'd made an enormous mistake because of course we were in lockdown. I, I'm a single woman living alone and oh my goodness, spending that much time in my own head and reliving, well, almost every mistake I've ever made. <laughs> um, let's just say I may have had a few wines <laughs> um, once you, or twice you, while you, I was writing it. You have a lovely part in the book where you say, I don't think the learning ever ends. I don't think you get to a place where you dust yourself off and say, right, thanks, universe, no more lessons for me. Well, I certainly uh, know that feeling when I remember my mother saying to me once, this will make you stronger when something awful had happened and, I, and I'm bawling my eyes out saying, I don't want to be stronger, I just want to be happy. <laughs> um, but you, yeah. you, really, you really do kind of tackle, you tackle the, the, the matter of we may 
grow up, we may grow older, but we're still learning. And I think that's kind of essential. I absolutely believe that. I don't think any of us are ever going to wake up one morning and go, well, I've got it. I know what the meaning of life is. Um, I'm absolutely perfect and enlightened. I'm sure even the Dalai Lama still goes to bed at night and think what thinks what the hell is going on, you know? And I think you also have to keep moving, you know? You, 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 it, the same with the writing the book. I think you have to keep challenging yourself. I, I think you have to keep questioning who you are and why you do what you do. I, I, I'm you know, kind of enough of a Pollyanna to think we've all got a, a role, no matter how big or small it is, and trying to make the world a bit less crap and in trying to know ourselves. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe there is a second where you go, oh, my God, I've got it, and then you drop dead. You dedicate the book to your two mothers, Jan and Anne. Can you tell us about Jan and Anne? Sure. So I found out I was adopted when I was 25. Um, that was a hell of a Christmas. I did find out on Christmas Day. It was, you, sister it was your sister-in-law. Told. Sister-in-law told you, didn't she? Yes, yes. Because basically there was, you know, how unlike a Christmas, a family Christmas, there had been an enormous fight and everyone had had too much to drink. And then, yes, once things calmed down, that was the moment my sister-in-law decided to tell me that I was adopted. Um, so it was a knee-jerk reaction, I guess. I set about trying to find my birth parents immediately. And long story short, because I went overseas not long after that happened, two years later, I met the wonderful Jan. Uh, she flew over from Perth to Melbourne. I will never forget that first meeting. I knocked on her hotel room door, gave her a very awkward hug. And thank goodness the first thing she said was, would you like a glass of wine? Because <laughs> we both needed one. Um, so, yeah, and I've been incredibly fortunate because not all adoption stories, in fact, a lot of adoption stories aren't good, you know. But Jan, who never married or had any other kids, she and I went on to have a, a great relationship, so I'm very lucky. Anne, though, is the woman who brought me up, and Lucy. And Anne and I had a much more difficult relationship, and that is certainly something I explore in the book because I feel like it's taken me getting to this age to really understand my mother and her frustrations. And... Uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is that because of when both of those women were born, they both suffered from the choices that they were either forced to make or the lack of choices they had. So I lament the fact that, you know, that Anne um, did not have Jan's independence and freedom and career, but Jan, you know, didn't have the husband or the kids so both of them missed out. Uh, you know, I say in the book, I wish, you know, in a, in a different world, Jan could have had some of my childhood and mum could have had some of um, Jan's social life, Jan's job, Jan's, yeah, freedom. At the end of the book, you talk about how you discovered your birth father and you've got three male siblings. I just wondered, have you been in contact with them? No, I haven't actually. We Zoomed once. I Zoomed once with two of them. Uh, two of them are in Perth. And of course, because of all the ridiculous border closures, I actually haven't been back to WA. Um, I'm, I'm planning on going there in May, in fact. So I am hoping that I will meet two of them and we will have a few drinks. Because yeah, I mean, I obviously talk about that in the book and, and talk about the fact that um, I always presumed that I would never know who my birth father was. So so to find, and that was just freaky, to find out that information again during the lockdown was um, just another kind of weird twist. I love that there's a theme in your book, uh, Judith, which I think our, some of our, a lot of our potties would find particularly interesting because they are women, a lot of them are women of our kind of generation. And even the younger men and women who listen to the podcast will find this interesting, the sort of evolution, if we can call it a feminism in the last 40 or 50 years. I know this is a conversation that you have with Kaz Cook, who is a mutual friend of yours and mine. I used to work with her at The Age um, many years ago, but you, were, you and she were having a conversation 
situation which you include in the book and you say, I just thought feminism would have a linear narrative, says Kaz. And it's kind of like, you know, two steps forward and then one step back. And you as a woman who, who comes to, um, you know, maturity in the early 80s, uh, starts to seek the job, seek the role, the Anne and the Jan in your background and your DNA is most interesting because there is Anne and I guess your family background is something which is you aspire to the husband, the kids, the home, that traditional thing. And yet you're really driven, uh, you're talented, you have a career ahead of you. And it's that balancing sort of thing that I think a lot of women of our age group, I am older than you, but we have suffered the same thing. And you say at one point, who on earth came up with the idea that women can have it all? Well, that's something that Carol and I endlessly talk about on this podcast. Well, I mean, I also think it's a ridiculous thing to say about anyone. No one has it all. I don't care what your gender is. You know, no one is going to have a perfect work-life balance. No one is going to have perfect health, look perfect, have the perfect children have the perfect career I mean it's insane we all have to make choices and it just seems to me that you know the fact that that has been thrown at women is just another weapon really it's just another thing that women can feel bad about I mean I feel like we are constantly being told one way or another that we're not enough and I just think, you know, there are so many areas where women can just torture themselves, whether it's about their parenting, their job, their waistline, their, their crow's feet. And it's just endless. And I, I just think it, you know, I guess the point I kind of come back to at the end of the book is that, it, it, you know, I know self-compassion is a bit of a buzz phrase at the moment, but I think a lot of us do just need to just kind of look at our lives and what we actually need and want and take a breath and work out what that looks like without being told by society or someone else what it should look like. I wonder whether the lockdown has had, and particularly here in Victoria, because we had two lockdowns, whether in fact this has been a, a pause, a moment. And um, again, Carol and I have often sort of discussed what's been happening with the Brittany Higgins and federal parliament matters uh, on the back of following along from the hashtag MeToo movement of a couple of years ago that maybe we are having a, a moment to think and pause. Oh, Corrie, I so desperately hope so. But, you know, I went on the March for Justice in Melbourne and so many women there were holding signs that seemed to say, you know, my grandmother was harassed, my mother was harassed, now my daughter's being harassed. And it does sometimes, you know, I constantly, like a seesaw, go between being really optimistic and thinking, no, this is really it, things are really going to change, and feeling, like I'm sure both of you do, just really tired. Because it does just feel like we keep having these conversations. And I was, I think, much more optimistic in the 80s. Um, but, you know, naively like has, I just thought, oh, the world is just going to keep getting better and better. And not just with sexism, but with racism, with with all of it. And yet, you know, it, as we know, uh, things seem to go in cycles. I do believe that incrementally things get better. I think it is inevitable that that is the direction we're going in, but it does seem to be taking a very long time. I just wanted to ask personal happiness. That's, I mean, I know we're talking big stuff, but just on a personal front, are you feeling happy? Are you feeling cheery? Anna, if I'm completely honest, I'm really tired <laughs> because um, I also had an operation on my shoulder four weeks ago, which I am also blaming the book for. Both my shoulders just went on me, which has just been, um, well, not handy. Let's I, just put it that I, way. Hey, Judith, a friend of mine, did your doctor say this to you? A friend of mine is in chronic pain with the shoulder, went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, that's a Netflix shoulder. I am not familiar with that. <laughs> well, there you go. No, apparently. I, I'm leaning on the sofa. Can I just say that Anna and Jane here in the studio are both looking at me aghast. Apparently we've been sitting in a peculiar position for so long last year that people's shoulders are going because they've spent so much time on a, on a sofa. Well, Isn't lying down with the dog lying on you in that, the remote control. Yeah. I don't, that can't be a syndrome. Well, I That's just life. Hey, Melbourne doctor, I'll find out <laughs> his or her name. Wow. Well, I do know that is not what caused mine. Not that I didn't spend many hours watching Netflix and, you know, 
drinking wine and frankly self-pleasuring um as i think many of us were forced to do during lockdown especially if we lived alone but no i look it's a bit of a recurring problem and i think just that all the typing kind of pushed me over the edge but where i'm going with this anna is um the book publicity is almost finished and i am doing something that i have never ever done before 33 years of comedy i'm having long service leave when a comedian goes on long service leave what happens it, you just don't work, Corrie. That's all. I just want to stop. I want to not write. I want to not write jokes. I want to not get up in front of an audience. I, I want to lie down and work out what's next, basically. But And I am actually really looking forward to that. And I do genuinely feel after having written the book in the last few years, which have been a bit tricky, that you know, I say that I, I, I feel my life is still full of possibilities and I really, really do and I'm really looking forward to exploring them. Judith, we love the book. We uh, recommend it highly to men and women of all ages. I think particularly also for younger folk, there are just so many life lessons there. I mean, there's lots of stuff we haven't d- discussed today. The death of your uh, sibling, your older brother, which, of course, um, changes family dynamics and must have had a, and clearly has in the book a huge impact on you. And it's also a moment, isn't it, for self-reflection and reflection on your childhood and growing up. And I guess life's too short. We've got to grab every happiness. But there's all sorts of interesting topics there. Um, Your father, your analysis of your father and the way your family, the Lucy families, make up the the ties that bound you and then the things that perhaps drew you apart from one another. There's just a lot that we can all unpack and we can relate to. And I'm hugely grateful that you've given us this book. To It's a real prompt, actually, for all of us to think about our own lives and the way we're doing stuff. Oh, Corrie, that is such an incredibly... (laughs) generous and lovely thing to say. Thank you very much. And Potties, I'd just like to tell you that it turns out I'm fine by Judith Lucy. We do have it at my bookshop and as a special treat to our podcast listeners, we're giving you a 15% off. That offer will be available while the stock lasts. We've got a couple of boxes out the back, Judith, so hopefully they'll all be running in to um, purchase your book. But thanks so much again, Judith, and we look forward sometime to seeing you here in person on the podcast and hopefully again at the bookshop. That would be lovely. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Corian. And ladies rule. They really do. They are the best. So (laughs) thank you so much. Bye. Anna, we now have to move on to the funeral of the on the weekend of the Duke of Edinburgh. We were, of course, rewarded with a box seat at, we could probably say, one of the most private royal occasions in decades, actually. A brilliant, ex, brilliantly executed tribute, I thought, to the Queen's husband and a very moving occasion. I think regardless of your views on the British monarchy or your spirituality or whether or not you like marching bands, I think it was uh, a pretty fine couple of hours. What were your thoughts? Look, I actually thought it was an absolute triumph. Ruby and I taped it and we sat down on Sunday morning in our pyjamas and got completely involved. I thought it was pomp and ceremony on steroids. And from the get-go, when you just saw the thousands of bowed, or I think thousands of bowed heads in the quadrangle with the magnificent splendour of Windsor Castle, And then the perfect English day, you know, the emerald green grass, the beautiful Derwent blue sky. I just thought it was fantastic. I especially love the music. I thought the music was incredible. I mean, when they did A Vow to Thee, My Country and Jerusalem, I was completely in tears. I thought that would be the absolute highlight. And then when they focused on Philip's carriage with the horse and the you know, in his driver's seat, the cap and gloves, I found myself completely sobbing. So, no, I loved it. And I don't think I'd ever appreciated Beethoven's funeral march as much as when the um, Land Rover went off and they all walked behind. Wasn't it stunning, it the was four just, children leading the pack? It was incredible. The music was fantastic, music I agree with you. The music was incredible. I wanted to ask you about the fashions. I just didn't quite know where Anne was going. I didn't know whether it was Mary Poppins or Suffragette or, as Mark McGuinness said, the Great War. <laughs> so I, I just was a bit concerned about Anne. I got it, but 
Well, it's interesting because I've always felt in the past, especially when she was younger, Anne has always really rocked the pillar box hat because and she has. She when has she was quite... on the cover of Vogue. I mean, she was yeah. really and out she, there. And thankfully, she's missed out on those what I would call the sort of the typical Queen Victoria jowly face, big eye thing. Her her face has always been, as a young girl, a young person, especially quite fine and quite slender. So she's always been able to wear that high, narrow hat. I'm not sure why the big... Uh, look, I, to be honest, I didn't mind it. It was a, it was a nod to Edwardian times. And, and the big coat. Because it I, was a beautiful day. I don't know that she well, really I think it was Well, it seemed to be quite cold. If you looked at it, you say, yes, it was a beautiful day, but the, there was a, that sort of mist that comes with cold weather. So uh, thankfully no rain. I mean, that would have just really changed the dynamic. But the sun to be shining and they did all look rather cold. To be honest, I never thought I would say this, Anna, but I, the, the fashions on the field award goes to Princess Beatrice on uh, from my from where I'm standing. I thought that black coat that she wore with the gold buttons and she's obviously been growing her hair, the ponytail down the back done very simply with a hat. I thought she looked really terrific. And the really high shoes. I couldn't get a bead on the fashion. I mean, obviously they were all in black. The face mask just sort of threw me. I I don't know that Camilla didn't have a bit of a lacy face mask. I, I she did. She I, did have I a lacy face mask. I thought that was just a little bit risque. Well, there there for is Camilla. there uh, is uh, according to the according to those who know. I was going to say royal watches, but I hate that term so much. <laughs> but. Um, there is a definite protocol about what women should wear. So it should be black with um, – so the, the jewellery and or medals can be highlighted and really observed and there's always significance in the jewellery that is chosen for a royal funeral. See, Catherine had that beautiful pearl Wasn't necklace, that which I didn't actually find out anything about, but I thought that was gorgeous. That's And that's from the Queen's collection. And the Queen herself had a brooch oh. that Princess Mary uh, – the Queen Mary had given her, uh, which the Princess Mary had received when she was um, a young That was bride. a bit of a showstopper. Well, I think that's uh, that, that's part – and there's always something symbolic about the the – the jewellery that the women choose. So black, of course, highlights that. They are supposed to be wearing black stockings and they are required to wear a hat. So I think everybody was sticking pretty much to that formula. It was a really... um, There are a couple of observations and a couple of comments, Anna, that I just found really interesting. CNN's Christine Amanpour, who is one of my journalism pinups, she said she covered it for the CNN and she said of the Queen and Prince Philip. The two of them embodied what is ending now, and there's no doubt about it, just as the World War II generation is ending. They embody the war sense of duty, of service, of getting on with it, as we've been as we've heard so many times. And I did think that people talked about the end of an era, but I really did feel that that how Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth have defined the monarchy which was following the role model of George VI and, of course, the Queen Mother, who were just such hard workers. That something there is, there is a sort of a changing of the guard. And, and you wonder what's going to happen, don't you? I mean, how's it all going to pan out? I love that there was no eulogy. I know that's the way the royals roll, but I just thought you could really focus on the interiors of the chapel and the beautiful music and, and all the prince's, um, you know, medallions and decorations and, and all of that. And so I, I, I thought that absolutely nailed it in it terms was, of just classic. Yes, and simplicity and the, and the, and the gravitas and mm. the, and the uh, drama of it all. This is a family who's lost their patriarch. And like so many thousands of families in Britain and indeed around the world, particularly over the past year with COVID and lockdowns, Relatives have died, and so many of us haven't been able to mourn. And exactly. and and neither was the royal family. The queen, that that symbol of the queen sitting alone, sort of said it all, really, and, with a, with a face mask on. And she looks so just small and and slightly defeated. And as all the commentators kept saying, you know, this will be the last time they'll be together. She now goes on alone. Oh, it's it is. Um, it, it's it was just a very sort of moving moment, and it was also quite interesting for me too because you and I love the politics of the royal family. To see that, um, well, it's certainly during COVID and lockdown, certain members of the royal family have stood up. Um, Prince Charles and Camilla have really started getting on the Zoom thing and Instagram. Prince William and his wife Kate, and of course the Wessexes, Prince Edward and Sophie, have been really busy. And I felt that there was definitely a shifting in responsibility that happened on the weekend, don't you? 
definitely. Um, Andrew, your thoughts on? Oh well, I, I thought he just looked slightly shamefaced, oh. and I felt he was getting the slight cold shoulder from the siblings. Yes, and 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 too much in the lead up, too many comments oh. comments from Andrew about how wonderful his father was to the point where I thought. Don't try and use this as yeah. an excuse to get back into everyone's good books. <laughs> a PR I was, exercise, I was exactly. Really, I was really pleased to see uh, William, Harry and Kate gather together at what seemed to be an impromptu decision by Prince Charles to not take the cars back to the castle, but let's walk. Let, I love so, that, that they just chatted as yeah, they went up the so hill. The, so the WhatsApp group, we were all watching it li- at the time it was happening on Saturday night, Sunday morning. So the WhatsApp group was going nuts until people started falling asleep and dropping <laughs> off. But a couple of us, you know, Joe and I, were there till the end, but we were saying Joe's feeling was that it was very staged the 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 coming together of the siblings and that walk. But in fact, it was oh. a bit of an impromptu walk, and I felt there was a genuine the three are back together again. Oh no, I think no, I think Joe's wrong there. I think it was just an organic. We're up the hill, going back to Granny's probably for a sherry and a whatever, yeah, a bit of plum cake. And um, no, I, I love that. I thought that was really, and you know, at funerals, sometimes you have to put your best foot forward, even though you don't want to speak to other family members. So I thought perhaps this was one good thing that came out of Phil's. Yes, death. well, I, I hope so too. I hope it's a it's a family repairing itself and everybody staying strong for the Queen. Jane's coming down the trolley aisle with her cocktail cabinet. Janie, those glasses, honestly, they're getting way too close together. We're going to have spillages before we know it. And we're here with the cocktail cabinet and with Anna and myself is Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store, who are great supporters of our podcast. Hello, Miles. Good morning. It's lovely to have you today. Nice to be back. So we had a little mission for you a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about Pinot Noir that we can enjoy over an autumn lunch, which Mm. sort of suggests maybe not a heavier one. I don't know what you think. Interested to know what your thoughts are and a couple of recommendations. But Anna, I was very surprised. In all our years of friendship, I have never noticed that you don't drink Pinot Noir. I know. I actually don't drink any red wines. Not. I, I have l- never noticed I know. That. It's probably because I'm so busy busy guzzling champagne and white wine that I'm keeping up. Sounds but... terrible. <laughs> no, I just, I, I actually love the taste of red wine, but it really keeps me awake, which oh. I know it's a weird thing. I used to drink it. The opposite. No, I know. It, I, fall, I conk out for a second and then it's like I've got matchsticks in my oh. eyes, keeping my eyes awake. So I've had to abandon it. My husband, however, has taken up the cause. So a lot of red wine in our house. Do, just... you, do you like rosé? No, I can't stand my rose. mother. Can I join the club? Worst drink. I mean, why? It's just lolly water. Yeah, fa- fairy water, we oh, call it. And I gives you rose. a raging headache. We know you love rose. And so, Miles, your mission over the next few months, I think, is to convince me that rose is worth it. But today we're on Pinot Noir. And what, uh, what drop have you recommended well, and got, brought in for us today? I've got two. So I've got a, a, a value one that's a little, bit, a little bit cheaper. So that's called Le Petit Perrier. And it's a French Pinot. Um, it's $21, and it's actually not from a traditional sort of Pinot-producing region of France. It's from the Loire Valley, which is sort of on the west there. But um, we've had it a couple of times before, and it's just a really just very easy-drinking, lighter sort of style, lots of red fruits and spice, and just very, yeah, just very easy to sort of drink. It's not a serious wine at all. It's not trying to be anything too complex or too fancy. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a great sort of a good, cheap, but very tasty start with the pinots. Mm. Mm. That sounds well. That sounds delicious. I um, we we had a, a, a lunch a week or two ago, uh, and um, an autumnal. It was when that cold snap, that Arctic blast came through, Antarctic blast, and we had there were a couple of Shirazes on the table, but the Pinot was the one that everybody was drifting toward, mm. mainly as as one of the gang said, because you just don't feel that you've drunk as much as if you're yeah. drinking heavy yeah. red in the middle of the day. <laughs> so that sounds quite perfect, yeah. the Le Petit Perrier. And what's uh, what's the other one you've got for us? So the premium Pinot I got is the, the Meadowbank, um, and it's from the Derwent Valley in Tasmania. So obviously Tassie's really a very cool region for producing wine so for pinot that's perfect it really it really sort of loves that cool climate and the these guys have a, it's a family vineyard and 
and uh, it's quite quite high up. It's it's quite quite sort of wild little area there in the Derwent Valley. But they make a lighter. I guess it's a slightly lighter sort of style as far as far as maybe uh, some Aussie Pinots go. Um, and it's made by a really fantastic winemaker called Peter Dredge, and he's a bit of a bit of a Tasmanian legend as far as Pinot. So. Um, and it's really fantastic. So it's $54, so it's a little bit more on the premium side. It's a, obviously, it's quite a bit more serious. There's a little bit more depth of fruit there, but still in that sort of mid-weight style. It's certainly not going towards a, a, a heavy style Pinot at all. So for autumn, it's a really sort of perfect drop. My husband was talking about something called Ghost Rock Ghost from Rock. Tasmania. Yeah. So I don't know if you know that one. And also I something don't. called Escarpment from New Zealand. Yeah, Escarpment's got a real cult following. Which I think's a bit of a big ticket item. Mm. I don't think you'd just be sloshing it down with your They're not beef cheap. bourguignon. They're yeah. not cheap. But they are right. very good. Yeah. They're um, excellent. They're really limited too. So they have a bit of that, you know, people really go a bit crazy for them because they're, they're not that easy to get as well. But oh, okay. Both in New Zealand and in Australia, there's a real following for that one. For Pinot? Well, for that escarpment yeah. Pinot in particular. In Victoria, we're, we're nuts for Pinot. The, the Victorian market just loves it. Yeah, and we produce so many good ones. We've got so, so many good much. Pinot areas. Yeah, that's Mornington right. Mornington Peninsula, Yarra Mornington, Valley. Yarra, it's even great. Western Vic, yeah. Geelong. Uh, you and I were discussing, Miles, uh, one of my favourite Pinots, and I have bought a few of these over the last few weeks from probably too many, than, more than I would like to declare, certainly to my husband, but two paddocks, um, the... Um, picnic Pinot. Yeah, the Picnic Pinot by... Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether you realise this, but Sam Neill, the actor, has his own wonderful winery. He's had it since the early 90s in central Otago in New Zealand, and he creates the most beautiful Pinot Noir, and this particular one, Two Paddocks, is just stunning. I think I've seen him on TV during lockdown talking, talking about... about mm. was, was he on a TV show? There was, he was, I definitely saw him in the vine, you know, through the vines, talking yeah. about his wine. It was an Australian story. It was something that he it was It was something, on. yeah. yeah. I mean, what doesn't that man... What can't that man do? What, what doesn't bit, he do? He's a bit of a talent. He is. And, and if you don't follow him on Instagram, Potties, have a look at Sam Neill, the prop. Really? It's fantastic. Oh, yeah, don't you follow him? No, I, my only oh, broad one is uh, Stanley Tucci making the oh, uh, cocktails. I love it. Love him. Um, during lockdown, Sam Neill would read poetry to you on Instagram, so that was oh. a real highlight as well. But what do you think of uh, what do you think of his Pinot Noir? Yeah, they're good. And well, they there just, are two or three, aren't there? Yeah, there's a couple. There's a there's the picnic, and then they have an estate, and then they have a couple of single vineyards as well, Facilier and I can't remember the other one. There's at least another one. So there's about five or six there, and the, he's got a couple of different vineyards, and they're in different spots. Of, I've actually been down there. And they're in different parts of, of central Otago, so they're all a little bit different. But the, the main sort of vineyard and the main estate is really, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. I went down there on a trip and it's... It must be beautiful countryside it's looking really at wonderful. Instagram account. Very striking Otago. It's really, yeah, those, those sort of mountains down into the water and... Yeah, it's really, I think that's it's where really they amazing. made. Isn't that where they made, made Lord of the Rings yeah, around parts that of it region? Are made yeah, in yeah. and around. You can kind of see why when you get there. It's it's pretty incredible. But the yeah. property is is wonderful, and they make perf. They grow um, crocus or something, and 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 they make and they grow lavender, and they make perfume. He does. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that they do on the property. Yeah. It's really fascinating. He's, as you say, oh. he, Anna. He's the man for all seasons. He can turn his hand to anything. <laughs> Miss Saffron, Jane. lavender, Jane. Saffron. Yeah, that's right. Miles, that's Miss right. Jane that's has a lovely has a lovely little bit of correspondence relating to the Prince Wine Store. Janie, what's the letter? Well, we had a little email from Judy E in Essendon who said, "Hello, thanks for the show. Love the sound of the Labirlu. Was that uh, we had it last week? Mm. Apple and chestnut liqueur and planned a visit to Prince Wine Store to purchase a bottle as a 60th gift, only to be told we just sold the last bottle. <laughs> she settled on an Italian-inspired, locally produced aperitif imbroglio instead. Had a lovely label as well. And I must say, did my first foraging of the season, picked a whole basket of pine mushrooms out in Western Victoria. Nice. And then, as suggested on the Le Bilou, uh, the, the liqueur, that you serve a little dash in sparkling wine. So, fresh pine. Oh. Pine mushrooms, um, like just braised. Oh, delicious! In a tiny little dash of that with the sparkling. It was autumn wow. in 
a glass and on a plate. We're coming over to your house. Wonderful. I'll try and save you some, but thank you for that. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Janie. So, Miles, what is the special offer for our Don't Shoot the Messengers? So I think you guys get 10% off... For the wines, but um, for the Le Petit Perrier yeah, and the Meadowbank and the Meadowbank, that's right. Right. So they'll both be up on the on the website for you. Fantastic. And um, yeah, a bunch of other things from the last few weeks as well. So Wonderful. It's all, it's all there in one spot. You can have a look. Oh, and I think great. we'll get some more beer loo back in. Great. Well, uh, we will. Ha- I don't know what our topic should be next week. We'll have a little bit of a think with that because uh, Anna won't be with us next week. Craig Hutchinson will be with us next week. So we might ask Craig what's his favourite drop and we can um, explore that. Not at eight o'clock in the morning, though. We won't be <laughs> drinking red wine at eight o'clock in the morning. Hey, Miles, thanks so much for coming in again. My pleasure. And thank you to Prince Wine Store for their great support of our podcast. And if you are interested in those pinots that Miles mentioned, use the promo code MEWS as in messenger, at, or maybe that's Anna at the end of a night on champagne, um, at the checkout online, uh, princewinestore.com.au, and you'll receive a listener discount, and you'll find all the links, of course, in our show notes. Anna, on to crush of the week for Red Energy. Most satisfied customers, they've been 11 years in a row, their best customers. That's Red Energy. They're 100% Australian-owned, and we thank them for the support of our podcast. What's your crush? Well, I was going to go with the Good Samaritans who'd picked me up after I'd taken a major tumble in the park last week, holding a phone, dog leads and a bag of dog poo. Oh. I did the complete Dick Emery and just landed on my back. It was so embarrassing. However, I've decided to make my crush this week autumn, oh. my favourite season of the year. And... um. I just, I love, I love the light. I love the deciduous trees changing colour. I mean, how great is that incredible crimson that you just suddenly see when you're walking around the tan? I love the cooking of the late summer fruits, like the quinces and Roma tomatoes. And I don't know about you, but is this, has this not been the best autumn for dahlias and the end of our veggie gardens? I've never had more produce popped on my front veranda. And shout out to Wayne and Steve-O. They've been keeping us going for weeks. And I think when you're in autumn, you start thinking about winter, you know, fires, casseroles, and even digging out those old ugg boots and thinking, will I get another season out of them. But don't you feel like we're a bit cheated over summer? I'm not ready yet for autumn. No, I've given up on summer. I I just knew summer was going to be absolutely pathetic. And apart from Easter, which was autumn, it was. So I've completely put all the summer gear away. I'm just, no, I'm actually really looking forward to winter. You're reconciled, Totally. And I'm I'm loving autumn and I'm loving, you know, just it's crispness and it's mellowness and... You love autumn so much you're going up to Queensland next week. No, (laughs) that may be the case... (laughs) True. Yes. Okay. You see, you just can't get out of that one. I'm with you with autumn. I love it. It is my favourite, and I I I love the. Someone once said it's because we have so many plane trees in Melbourne's inner suburbs, north and south, that we the plane tree dust as the leaves fall, it all creates this beautiful light. So we have these wonderful sunsets and sunrises as well. It's really lovely. Yeah, the light's just been gorgeous. So agree, agree. So Annie, you're on a roll. Let's go on to BSF with books, screen, and food. And you have a book. I do. And I am holding it up. Um, This is the first time I've done a non-fiction book on this podcast. And it's actually unputdownable. It's called Rooted, an Australian history of bad language by Amanda Lorgerson. And Julia Caro's mum gave this book to me for Christmas. And it absolutely touched a, a... something in my core because rooted was my father's favourite expression and his only other even more favourite expression was absolutely rooted. <laughs> so uh, the minute I saw it, I knew that it was, it was for me. Anyway, Lorgerson, uh, who's the chief editor of the Australian National Dictionary, takes us on a fabulous and extremely readable and bloody funny journey of the history of Australian bad language from defiant convicts through to our politicians working blue. And she sort of talks about bad language Um, our bad language has been used in so many ways in our history to defy authority as forms of liberation and subversion, as a source of humour and creativity, but also to oppress and punish, especially women and Indigenous Australians. And she peppers this 
fabulous read with wonderful examples from all walks of life. It's well worth a look. Can you give us a few examples? Well, I haven't actually read the whole book, but she, I mean, she starts off and she just talks about bloody, how, how we just use bloody in every which way. And no, it, it's just a really good read. It's great. Oh, I love a book about language. I've always wanted to oh. write a book based on my mother inherited and I think probably made up her own too, all these sayings <laughs> like, you're at your auntie's and she's blind. If someone says, would you like another cake? And someone says, oh, no, thanks. No, I've had enough. And my mother would say, oh, you're at your auntie's and she's blind. Was that a peg made up? I've never heard that. <laughs> See, she doesn't so much do saying The colloquial it, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's more, It's. I mean, you know, it is the F word and whatever. It's, there's an actually fabulous index. She does Kath and Kim. But in our house, mum never said bloody. She said ruddy. So it was ruddy hell. And that was like, you know, practically using the C word. If ruddy <laughs> came out, you knew you were in trouble. So to start on bloody, I just loved it. No, it's really fabulous. That is great. Rooted, an Rooted. Australian history of bad language available at a good bookstore near you. Yes. And so while you're in a chatty mood, <laughs> let's go on to your movie. You've been to see The Courier. I'm very jealous. It's fabulous. I'd well recommend. And uh, Potties, it's a dramatic Cold War era spy thriller starring the very compelling Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, one of my favourite oh, no. actors. I think that Sherlock series is amazing. There, he is amazing. I know. I, I actually saw him do Frankenstein playing both, I mean, on TV during lockdown, playing both the monster and Dr. Frankenstein. He He's just extraordinary. I mean, he really is an actor for our generation. He's great. But anyway, this film is based on a true story of an ordinary English salesman called Grenville Wynne who was recruited as a courier between the MI6 and CIA and a Russian mole, Oleg Penkovsky, if I've said that correctly, during the Cold War and leading into the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it's the unlikely the unlikely duo build an incredible relationship emotional relationship that's central to the film. And I don't want to talk any more about that. I'd written more and husband said, absolute spoiler alert. But So I just want to say the score and the cinematography place a viewer firmly in the 1960s with fabulous and funny scenes of Russian trade officials making merry in seedy Soho in the swing 60s. And then this is contrast, contrasted by the portrayal of Moscow with its grey monolithic, you know, Soviet bloc architecture and a people repressed by the state. Um, it's an acting tour de force by Cumberbatch, according to Chris, and it, it, he's well supported by the rest of the cast. And best of all, at the end of the film, they show the real Grenville win. And I love it when oh, you actually really? see Yeah. And he looks exactly, or Benedict looks exactly like him. And they have him talking and they have him talking about, the you know, what actually happened at the end of the film. So it, it's great. Four of us went to see it and, you know, we cried, we laughed. It's really fabulous. Worth a view. Well, that sounds great. And in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to, you and I will be joined here by your husband, or we will be joined with your husband, Chris Barry, here in the studio. Not only is he a builder extraordinaire, but he also manages a couple of Airbnbs, which I've been told are wonderful establishments <laughs> here in Melbourne, and he is an actor. Certainly is. So we've had a lot of fun over the years going to movies with both you and Chris, and Chris always has an interesting perspective. So we thought we would have a screen-centric episode in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that, Potties. Okay, so on to uh, food with BSF, my turn. I have a recipe. And Anna, this comes from a beautifully produced book by the folk at the Hamilton and Alexandra College at Hamilton in Western Victoria. Our friend Jen has been deeply involved, as has my daughter-in-law, Lib Hutton, during lockdown um, in the styling and designing of this book. It is a collection of recipes from the Hamilton community, particularly the Hamilton College community. And Anna, you would love this book and Miss Jane as well. There are so many great recipes, so many funny kind of titles of different books and so many old-fashioned ones from chocolate cakes to um, raspberry and coconut cake, which looks absolutely delicious. Lots of curries, lots of things for salads and barbecues and picnics. Really, really love it. But the one, the, the recipe I wanted to mention today, and it will be on our show notes, is the Thai-style pumpkin soup with coriander pesto. 
And this is one from our dear friend Jen Hutton. And Jen says, the coriander pesto is the hero of this soup, not only for its taste, but for its appearance. The bright green and orange looks amazing and it's all so easy. There is a picture of this. So I made this on Sunday afternoon and it is super easy. It does have a little bit of spice. So if you are serving it to children or people who are not crazy about spice um, and heat and chilli heat, maybe this is not one for them. I absolutely adored it and it has lots of things, um, Thai red curry paste, um, teaspoons of ginger, onion, garlic, vegetable stock, light coconut milk, a can of that uh, and and everything um, in it. We'll put it on the show notes but it's a winner for um, particularly this time of year and the pumpkins at the moment are amazing. Absolutely. Edwina dropped one on my doorstep last night. It just looks supersonic, well, on and, steroids. And this is what I never understand about Halloween. Why do we celebrate it here in Australia, Anna? Because in October, it's not pumpkin not season pump, here. It's us. pumpkin season over yeah. there. But why do we do it? Maybe we should have Halloween. Why would we have Halloween? I don't but think we need Halloween April. at all. Uh, an American affectation. That is BSF. Thank you very much to our show supporters, um, Red Energy, and um, you can call Red Energy on 131 806 for real Aussie energy and the Melbourne-based team will just help you out. Now, Anna, I am grumpy. Yes. I'm going to tell Why? you what. Well, this is just, I don't know when this happened in the last decade, but I was required to go to go and buy some, I thought you call it now S26 formula. In our days, it was the baby formula, mm. the milk substitute for babies. And I went off to the chemist. Oh, no, you don't. You can't buy it at chemists anymore. So off to the supermarket, which was a bit surprising to find it at the supermarket. In our day, it wasn't at the supermarket. <laughs> anyway, that's okay. But it comes with, each can comes with an anti-theft security mm. lock. Where have you been, Corrie? Yeah. It's, it's huge. Well, <laughs> huge. I've been under a rock, Anna. Absolutely. So apparently you can only get these security locks unlocked by staff when you buy it, which I didn't know. So I was just at the automatic checkout, got the can, jumped into the car. Rookie error. Got home. Rookie error. Oh, you know, four hammers later. Um, (laughs) So what on earth is the reason for this? Apparently, parents have been forced to compete with shopping armies, profiteering from huge demands for for this formula in China. China. Did you know that? Yes. <laughs> and by being. And at one stage, you know, you could only buy one or two. I don't know how many you seem to get on the your self-serve checkout. But, you know, you, it was getting so bad because people were buying the whole shelf and sending it back to China because the Chinese formula apparently was... I don't, I don't want to say disease, but infected, or there was something wrong with it. Well, with baby poisoned, or with something. baby crying, and me trying to jimmy open this oh, can, which covered was, in sweat, which yeah. was slightly <laughs> traumatic. Um, I after I had recovered from this process, and the baby had had um, the milk and so on, <laughs> everything was all right. I I did a bit of a, a, a wander through um, the Wikipedia, and it turns out that um, in two thousand and eight. Chinese buyers were seeking the trusted Australian formula, and at the peak of the crisis, $30 tins of baby formula were selling for $100 in China. Anyway, that was profiteering. Uh, call me late to the late to the party. Gotcha. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Now, six quick questions for Red Energy. And my first question to you, Anna, is what is your latest good recommendation for a mini break? Um, in a nutshell, Hobart. Um, I'd only ever been once for lunch. We ended up going just on a little mini break. What do you mean you've only been once for lunch? That's the only time I'd ever been to Hobart. We did a, a tour around Tasmania with the Kidley Wings and we stopped in Hobart, had lunch and then flew back oh, to Melbourne. Gotcha. So I didn't just go down for lunch. You, I thought she'd no. down for someone's lunch. No, I know I'm international, <laughs> but no. No, look, it's great cheap flights fantastic accommodation and divine food. I mean, one day we just had the Tassie Feast, Clover Hill Champagne, Bruni Island Oysters and uh, crayfish. What's not to love? What's not to love? Anyway, it was fabulous. The Maritime Museum was fabulous. So I'm just saying get on down. It's great. Great. Now, Corrie, what is your latest podcast recommendation? This is a beauty. This is an absolute beauty. It's called Dan Snow's History Hit. Now, I suppose in a way you have to be a bit of a history buff, although not necessarily. Uh, Dan Snow is uh, is an English historian and he has this incredibly successful podcast. It has almost a million listeners each month. And 
he just discovered, he, he goes into particular times of history, particular people and so on in the most interesting way. And it's not just Dan's view. He will always interview one or two other people. So it's quite a lively discussion. And he brings so many things to light. It's not just British history. But in the last couple of weeks, I've been really entertained by this three-part series on British Prime Ministers. That has been interesting. The Catherine the Great, which he did last week or the week before, was sensational. What a woman. What a woman. What a woman. Have you seen the, the shows on her? The, I have not. Mm, I have the not. The Richard Roxburgh one is fantastic. I think it's just called Catherine, is it? It's great. Anyway, well, no pun but, but da- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Dan's great. Too early. Uh, <laughs> um, da- but Dan, um, da- Dan kind of takes the, the, the rumours about her sexual appetite yep. and all that sort of thing, puts it to one side, parks it over here and just looks, what, <laughs> looks at what an extraordinary um, kind of impact she had on modern uh, the development of modern Russia. And then, Anna, the day that Prince Philip, or the weekend that Prince Philip died, he put together one on Prince Philip, his background, his family, um, what what brought him to the, to the to the UK, and after exile and so on. It was really interesting, and of course the many many different roles that uh, and um, heads of different organisations that Prince Philip had in his lifetime. It was really good. So that's Dan Snow's history hit. A history hit. I highly recommend. Oh, sounds great. Anna, what's the latest curious op shock happening, please? This is just odd and it's just a little bit funny, but we had the Australian Human Rights Commission on the blower the other day, re an op shop complaint. And I did think that they would be investigating, you know, discrimination and, you know, human rights complaints and violations. The federal Parliament. Well, exactly. I mean, there they were ringing the op shop. I'm just saying, who knew they, you know... What was the complaint? I, I can't go into it, but I could have been a dissatisfied customer, just saying. And they went to the human... Know, oh. When they rang, I said, don't be ridiculous. It's some, you know, computer-generated silly message and they rang back. I was wrong. Oh my goodness. I know. So <laughs> oh, I hope you're not setting a precedent. No, I hope I don't get a call so, from the so do I. So I will do like I. you, I will think it's a it's a phony and I'll Totally. Hang now Corey, what was the one common thread you observed among footy fans this past weekend? Well when you're a Hawthorne supporter, as I am, mm. and they were about to play Melbourne, I couldn't get over the number of people who said to me they hoped my team would beat Melbourne on the weekend because they they can't stand Melbourne supporters. I'm not sure quite what that means. I have a soft spot for Melbourne, I have to say. Family members have been barrackers for a long time and for a brief moment I did have a sojourn with Melbourne. So they're pretty close to my heart. But what is with this collective dismissiveness of Melbourne and this common view that Melbourne supporters become insufferable when their team is on a high? Don't we all? No, it's like you with the... um baby formula. I don't know where you've been. Everyone thinks that about <laughs> Melbourne. They think they're elitist. They think they only go to the MCG when their team's winning. Otherwise, they're at the, the snow. snow. <laughs> There's all those stereotypical type, you know, people with the knee rug and the members. No, everyone thinks that. Everyone hopes Melbourne loses. Oh, well, I'm standing up for my no. Melbourne friends. That no. seems really mean. Um, Anna, another question to you. Is MasterChef compulsory winter viewing? Absolutely yes. Yes. It's I'm so fan- glad you said that. It's fantastic. It's Happy family viewing, and I'm obsessed with Melissa and her earrings. I, I mean, started last night. I'm I'm already hooked in. It's great. Now, Corrie, last question to you: Which Mother's Day gift did you give your mother, and wish someone would give you? Hint, hint. Well, I'm not sure they're around these days. Oh. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Mother's Day's in a couple of weeks, so yes. somebody's going to have to get manufacturing mm. pretty quickly. Electric heated booties. Oh, they'd be around on the internet. I have not seen any, even on eBay. So for those who are... who I were, think Dr. Google, look, <laughs> you're just behind yes, the James. times. I'm going to say I saw that apparently one of the large chain stores, we're talking Target or Kmart, have slippers and booties that you can put in the microwave, like a heat bag. Oh, no. <laughs> no, these ones you plugged in. But so could I, you move once you plugged in? No, 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 no. And, no. And you're stuck on the sofa. <laughs> Uh, you could, I mean, you could move around. Well, you can't move in them because but it's like a little bag. Did they give you chill No, they were supposed to take all of that away. Some nights, in, now that we're in autumn, some nights my tootsies are so cold. You put on a pair of socks, fair enough. But sometimes I think, gosh, mum had that, like it's a little bag you'd put your feet in. <laughs> a little shocking. woolen bag and you plug it into the wall socket <laughs> and she would sit there doing her knitting or playing patience. And did she have a... A oh, power Jane, adapter. Jane's showing me. Oh, look, electric heat. Yes. Yeah. Well, there they are, Jane. Now I'll have to say. Yes, I've got family. two words for you: Ugg boots. 
<laughs> I have I have Uggies. You know I have Uggies. Well, I wear I wear my Ugg boots out in public, which my children are oh, really no, that's, that's offended by. I the other thing I would suggest that I had bought my mother is the old remember oil of Olay. Remember, I can still smell what, it as I say. The pink it. stuff. Yes, I, was, I would Bit love like it. Like chamomile, chamomile, lotion. Is that how you say? Chamomile. Ca- Cam- chamomile. You know, Jane? Calamine. Thank you. You can see I'm that she has a child under 10 yeah. and we don't. Yeah. Mozzie bites. Um, Good for everything. Yeah. Good for everything. We had, we had kids at school who just walked around in the pink literally for days because <laughs> they had eczema. But um, oil of Olay, I reckon it's probably round there with, um, there'll be some, you'll find that at Chemist Warehouse. I tell you what, if, if I'm given electrocated booties and a bottle of oil of Valet on Mother's Day. I'll be very happy. And a lovely to chat. I'm so happy that you came in in Caro's absence. Thank you. We'll look forward to seeing you after your northern holiday in a couple of weeks. Thank you for having me. Loved having you. And thank you, of course, Miss Jane, for wonderful producing as always and, of course, for making the conversation with Judith Lucy happen so brilliantly. Judith's book, if you would like to just take a note of the title, it's called Turns Out I'm Fine by Judith Lucy. And as I said, if you come to my bookshop, not on the website, you have to give us a call or come into the shop. We will give you a 15% discount on that wonderful memoir of Judith's, which is, yes, a laugh a minute, but also some serious and really worthy stuff she deals with. Thank you to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and of course, to our friends at Prince Wine Store. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign up button on our Facebook page or on our show notes. And you can send us an email and we'll, we will then do all the subscribing on your behalf. Our email feedback at don't shoot pod com.au It's been lovely having your company. Uh, don't forget our footy tips bonus episode. And Anna, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Red Energy's Lifestyle Podcast Series delivers a world of fun, tips, knowledge and more. For all things home design, enjoy Homestyle with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. If someone says halfway through a reno, oh, this is going really well, it's much better than what I thought, I look at them and I think, right, you've done it now, you've jinxed it. Homestyle with Shana Blaze, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.